Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Thursday evening when we continue our reflections into sacred scripture. Usually, each and every Sunday, we engage the gospel text. Well, in looking at the readings uh, that we will be hearing on Sunday, I have decided to go with the first reading more or less. We will certainly take up the gospel as well, but I do want to spend quite a bit of time on Elijah. This is just too great of a story to pass up. So uh, with that, uh, let us just jump right in. Our first reading comes to us from 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 4 to 8. Again, 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 4 to 8. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree, and behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake bread on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank, and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time, and touched him, and said, Arise and eat, else the journey will be too great for you. And he rose and ate and drank, and went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the mount of God. Amen. So, (laughs) This 19th Sunday uh, in ordinary time provides for us the wonderful opportunity to engage Elijah. Now, by way of context, in chapter 18 of this first book of Kings, Elijah is portrayed as an invincible prophet who fearlessly stands up to king and prophets, but he remains extremely human in the process. Today's first reading from 1 Kings 19 presents us with the great prophet who is vulnerable and subject to discouragement and fear. Um, Oh, by the way, before I go any further, does his story sound familiar? Who else was uh, under a tree or under a plant? Who else wanted to die? What other great prophet heard the Lord in a wind? What other prophet was greatly disappointed? What other prophet was fleeing? What other prophet heard the voice of the Lord? Huh? What other prophet received a royal edict and fasted? But who? Jonah. What is the message here when you look at this great prophet Elijah and certainly Jonah? That God will use all instruments at his disposal, even broken prophets. And hopefully, my friends, that is a clear message to all of us, especially when we are broken, that He wants to give us the food of everlasting life and ultimately move forward in the journey that He calls us into. Uh, So very important. Now, 
That being said, let us situate today's story in 1 Kings a bit. In chapter 19, we have the aftermath of Elijah's brilliant victory in the contest with Jezebel and the priest of Baal atop Mount Carmel. Just when Elijah should have been triumphant, he receives this message telling him of Jezebel's murderous intentions. And he is what? In verse 3, now I didn't read this, but in verse 3, he was afraid. Elijah is persecuted for his faithfulness and for demanding total obedience to the one true God, because such loyalty, for those of you who have experienced this, no, threatens the powers that be who have their own ideas about whom or what people should worship. So Israel's fiery prophet immediately flees south into the wilderness of the desert. His mood is one of defeat, and we can properly say desolation. Think of it, my friends. After all he had done for the God of Israel, his victory now seems uh, vitiated. He has not been given divine protection he was promised, and now he only wants to die. What are the words we just read? It is enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, for I am no better than my ancestors. So there, in the barren desert, Elijah lies down under a solitary broom tree, we read, and asks God to take his life, claiming that he is no better than his father's. Elijah bemoans his discouragement at his lack of success in encouraging the Israelites to be faithful. And suddenly, what do we read? A messenger, an angel of the Lord, awakens him and tells him to eat and drink. So whereas uh, the wicked Jezebel sends a messenger of death to Elijah, the Lord God of Israel sends him a messenger of life who serves Elijah food and water, two essentials, of course, for survival in the harsh wilderness. So Elijah eats, drinks, but then falls asleep again, indicating that he has not yet recovered from his lethargy and depression. The the messenger wakes Elijah up again and urges him to do what again but eat and drink, this time providing a reason or the journey will be too much for you. So what can we learn here from Elijah in the desert wilderness? Here you have a man who has given his life totally in faithfulness to the God of Israel. He has been totally zealous for the Lord. His desperate cry, I am no better than my ancestors, reveals a man who no longer believes in himself. He had believed in himself to be a spectacularly exemplary servant of God. No one could outdo him in his zealousness. Now what? He believes it has been all in vain. Oh, by the way, when you talk about vain and vanity, let us understand this in context. The word itself means emptiness or waste of time. Yes, it is tied to the way in which we spend too much time dressing ourselves up and prettying ourselves up and and whatnot, but I want to be clear on this. When you talk about vanity, it is more about how we waste time. Here, Elijah 
looks upon, looks upon his life in vain. He sees it as a waste of time, empty time. Yet what do we discover? The God of Israel does not give up on Elijah. God's teaching moment begins when Elijah's famed resourcefulness runs out. Angels from God are needed to feed him in his weakness. Then God leads him through a time of reflection in the wilderness. His journey through the wilderness lasts for, of course, the all-important, significant time of 40 days and 40 nights. Just as the Hebrews wandered earlier in the wilderness in search of God, so this most zealous prophet and servant of the Lord is led on a similar journey. Eventually, Elijah comes to the sacred mountain of Horeb, where he spends the night in a dark cave. The dark cave and the dark night certainly are reflective of his dark night of the soul. Mount Horeb is in some Old Testament traditions, of course, the name for Mount Sinai, the mountain associated with God's appearance. I know many of us are familiar with this. And 40 days and nights certainly ought to be connected with Mount Sinai and the two sojourns of Moses on Sinai for 40 days and 40 nights. Now, the point of this moving story is not just that Elijah makes a physical trip to Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai, but rather something much more significant. In an act of sheer grace, God intervenes, provides the prophet with life-giving food and life-giving water, and suggests a pilgrimage to a mountain that is the place forever associated with the source and essence of Israelite faith. Of course, the place where God revealed himself to Moses in the burning bush. The Elijah story speaks powerfully to those who are worn out, fearful, or we can properly say in need of renewal and commitment to their original call. This story suggests an important way forward. Eat and drink of God's life-giving sustenance, return to the core of faith, and listen for God in that still, small voice. That may be the way to find new energy, a new vision, and a new sense of purpose. Elijah here, as we read the story, must learn that God is not encountered in the sound and fury of loud and spectacular events. God will not be conjured up by the zealous or boisterous activity of the prophet who now stands quiet and broken atop the Lord's mountain. No, what Elijah discovers here is that God is encountered when the activity ceases and the words stop, when the heart is sad and the stomach is filled with pangs of hunger, when Elijah's mind and heart are finally empty of ambition and self-promotion. Then, And only then, for the prophet, is God ultimately heard. What are we talking about here, my friends? But the dark night of the soul. Remember what we just said. The dark cave and the dark night are reflective of his dark night of the soul. What is the dark night of the soul? Certainly within the Carmelite tradition, um, if you are familiar with it out there, you know what the dark night of the soul is all about. I want to read... Uh, Father Fleeb, I actually read this the other night. 
as we were reflecting into Theology of the Body from the mystical vantage point. And I want to bring this into this radio program because certainly it is most relevant. This is uh, Father Philippe describing uh, what the dark night of the soul is all about. He says this, The trials or purifications, so frequently referred to by the mystics, are there to destroy whatever is artificial in our character, so that our true being may emerge. The dark night of the soul could be called a series of impoverishments, sometimes violent ones, that strip believers of all possibility of relying on themselves. Is this not what is going on here with Elijah? As great as he is, he needed to experience this dark night, this ultimate impoverishment. As Father Philippe continues, these trials are beneficial because they lead us to locate our identity where it truly belongs. They also deprive us of any possibility of relying on ourselves and the good that we can do. God's mercy is all. Progressively, and in a way that parallels their terrible impoverishment, those who go through such trials while still hoping in the Lord begin to realize the truth of something that up until then was only a pious expression, that God loves us in an absolutely unconditional way by virtue of himself, his mercy, and his infinite tenderness, by virtue of his fatherhood towards us. Amen. So, my dear friends, what Elijah was experiencing here was his own dark night of the soul, was an impoverishment that led him deeper into the heart of God, where God seized him totally and entirely. Now, For Elijah, as for Jesus and for us, bread is fundamental to life. Bread stands at the center of life. Bread is life. And in today's gospel, we hear about Jesus who is the bread of life because Christ is life. He is the bread of life. To eat Jesus' body and to drink his blood means more than just believing in him. The image of Jesus as the bread of life is at the heart of what renewal in the mystery of Christ is all about. Okay, let us go ahead and go to John chapter 6. We've been in the Eucharistic discourse now for a few weeks. This is our third week. John chapter 6, verses 41 to 51. The Jews then murmured at him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. They said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, Do not murmur among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except him who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread which comes down from heaven, that a man may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. 
If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever, and the bread which I shall give for the life of the world is my flesh. Amen. So when Jesus here (laughs) says that he is the bread of life, what is he saying? His emphasis is not on the bread as such, but on himself as the I who declares it. This is a great theme the Gospel of John, the importance of I. I am the bread of life. I am the resurrection. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is saying that what we long for to nourish our hungers is found in himself, the I who identifies his life with the bread he gives. Jesus is more than mere bread for our bodily hunger. We know that. What did he just say? Something greater than manna is here. He's more than love to satisfy our emotional needs. He is the word that will satisfy our hunger for truth. He is the bread of life itself. The total satisfaction for all our human hungers, just not body, but body and soul. For all baptized believers, the Eucharist certainly is the primary way of celebrating and sustaining contact with the risen Lord. Let us consider for a moment the important actions of Jesus as he gives us the living bread from heaven. He, he takes, he blesses, he breaks, and he gives. Right? Jesus took the bread. He has taken the bread of our lives and joined it with his own. Jesus blessed the bread. He has blessed us with his very life. Baptism was the first moment of that blessing. Every other moment of contact with Jesus Christ is a deepening of that blessing, certainly highlighted in the Eucharist. Jesus broke the bread. Like Jesus, there are moments in our lives when we feel hurt, lost, discouraged, disillusioned, emptied, rejected, without energy, without hope, broken, (laughs) broken. We are like Elijah under the broom tree, waiting for our life to end. Yet, even in these fractured moments, the Lord Jesus is present to us. A point that never goes lost on me is found in that word excruciating. Why? Because that is a word literally translated from the cross, excruces. When we are going through something excruciating, maybe it is an impoverishment, consider this a mercy. A severe mercy, yes, but a mercy nonetheless. If it draws us closer to the heart of God, we just need to be open. We need to be seeking. Remember, the spiritual life is about seeking transformation in Christ is about seeking, desiring, aching. We've already spoken to this language of the dark night of the soul. Certainly, the dark night of the soul belongs to that category of mystical tradition. To speak of the mystics is to speak of those saints who ached for God with such a deep desire it left a wound on their heart. This is the kind of thing that we ought to be thinking about this 19th Sunday in ordinary time. Okay, so Jesus took the bread, he blessed the bread, he broke the bread, and he gave the bread. 
He gave us of his time and his touch. That was an important word we heard today. He gave encouragement, but also his challenge. I mean, challenge from the Latin provocatio, to call forth, to call out. He gave both word and bread to feed and nourish. He gave most fully, of course, in giving himself. He gave till there, till there was no more to give. And this is ultimately the great lesson that we learn from Christianity. Enough is never enough until we give everything, because this is what Christ did for us. He declared his life and work complete with the words, It is finished. Words he can only declare on the cross, because his work here on earth, at least, was done. And so like Christ, we should be constantly mindful of the hour, thinking about ways in which we can be working for the kingdom of God, and only, my dear friends, and only on our deathbed should we be saying those words, it is finished. Because in so long as we live here on earth, and so long as we are vested with the flesh, we need to be thinking about the hour, like Christ was thinking about the hour. And in thinking about the hour, the finish line, we will be well served as disciples of Christ. So, in our Lord's life, death, and resurrection, his paschal mystery, Jesus has given us a profound example and challenges us to do the same. Go and do likewise. A challenge and a commission. It is the commission to live the mystery of being blessed and broken for others. Do we think of the Christian life in this way? To be blessed and broken for others. What does it mean to be blessed? Well, in the New Testament, in the Beatitudes, the word blessed, the Greek is makarios, which literally translates as those who are in favorable standing with God. Huh. We are in favorable standing with God when we give of ourselves without any expectation, tirelessly working for the kingdom of God. When life seems to be breaking apart, we should not forget the lesson of the bread broken for us, the lesson of Christ himself. Let us pray that our sharing in the Eucharistic bread and wine may transform us more and more into what we eat and drink, and that we might truly become broken and shared with all people. You know, in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, we read paragraphs that talk about the importance of how the Eucharist should always have us in solidarity with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Right? The essence of the Mass is what? To, ab- to enter into this nuptial union with Jesus Christ and to be sent and to proclaim the Word of God in deed and word, and in doing so with the charity of Christ. So as we wrap up this radio program, I want to leave you with a homework assignment, if you will. Next time you go to Mass, ask yourself a question. What am I going to do today, tomorrow, or this week that shows my love for Christ and the larger body of Christ? What am I going to do today, tomorrow, and next week that points to my solidarity for the people of God? What am I going to do today, tomorrow, or next week that points to the greatness of what God is calling me to? 
we kicked off this evening talking about the prophet Elijah. And we did so with the intent to grab hold of this deeper truth that, that in our brokenness and in our weakness, although we may not feel it, God is with us. And in fact, that is when we are the strongest. What did Paul say? I boast in my weakness because it is in my weakness that I am strong. Let us boast of our weakness. Let us allow God to wield his pruning knife and begin to mold us into his image. Earlier, I used the word commission. That is a very important word. What does it mean? Well, it comes from the Latin commissio, to be sent with. But we come to understand that it is only by first being in God that we can better understand the commissio, the being sent with God. Only in understanding the gift can we better understand the task. Uh, Only by coming to know Him can we make Him known. Only by understanding who we are as created in, in the image and likeness of God, that is, our identity, can we better understand the goal. So here you have this structure play out. In God, for other. Come to know Him, to make Him known. New identity, new goal. Indeed, my friends, this is the essence of our faith. Okay, with that, uh, let us close with a word of prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen, and God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 6.30 p.m. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.